You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Elesh Norn, the mother of machines, is a new staple in multiple formats. But is she just for Elesh Normies? Today we challenge the machine orthodoxy with fresh brews in Modern and Pioneer, plus testing with Mind Spice Apparatus and Tyvar Jubilant Brawler. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan, and I'm joined today all the way from Argentina. You know him as Mord to Light. It's Emmy Sigasti. Emmy, welcome. Heyo. How are we doing, Dan? Up for some beautiful cars tonight? Always. You know it's Always ready. Always ready. And tonight we're firing all our brewing engines with a beautiful, apparently modern staple all of a sudden. Oh gosh, yeah. Talking about Elish Norn today, mother of machines. Mommy? Machine mommy. Just mommy. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't sure like if this was going to be a worthwhile card for us to do a week around. Either because it wasn't going to be powerful enough or because it was going to be too powerful. It's somewhere in between. So we figured we might as well take the time to just go through what's been happening with Elish Norn and see where there's still further brewing space so this is our brew session it's going to be all deckless all the time got a bunch of lsh decks uh we'll also have our flashback segment bunch of decks to talk about there uh we tested mind splice apparatus from last week and if there's time i would like to do a little follow-up on tyvar jubilant brawler the first card that we highlighted from our phyrexia all will be one season because tyvar's been doing well a lot of iteration a lot of updates there and a bunch of new tyvar decks have been succeeding in multiple formats yeah apparently being super hard to remove is enough for a creature to stick even without any dewey it's a strange time to be alive <laughs> where a 4-7 non-etv creature is making webs in modern so that's the order of business the plan of attack for today before we dive into the deck lists, just a reminder at the top that if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, you can do so. You can go to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. You can make a pledge at any tier you like. It can be a dollar a show. That's just a nice way of giving back. Help support us. Help keep us going. Help say, hey, thanks for filling my head with these crazy ideas about terrible brews. Every once in a while, we have good ideas too, but... Making no promises. Like once a few, once in a few blue moons, we come up with something out of this world. But then, then we get being back to reality by Rivas. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, you'll get access to our wonderful Discord community, as well as other perks if you're into merch, uh, if you like to suggest cards for us, if you want to vote on cards. Those are all benefits you'll receive by being a patron as well. Exactly. 
All right, enough of that. On to the card of the week. Tell me about Elish Norn, the mother of machines. So, Elish Norn, the final iteration, actually not final, second iteration, two or three, for <laughs> a five mana, four, seven, Phyrexian Praetor with Vigilance. So no ETB, nothing insane, but she has two lines of text that super matter. First, if a permanent entering the battlefield costs a trigger ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. And secondly, permanents entering the battlefield don't cause abilities of permanents your opponent's control to trigger. So we have a panharmonicon that also works as an opposing panharmonicon to your opponent, literally causing them their abilities to not trigger. This ranges from ETVs from Solitude, Leyline Binding, Balaku triggers, literally anything gets shut down. And this isn't even her final form yet. She kind of hoards all the triggers for herself. Double for me. None for you? She will have all the triggers. And it gets super out of control fast. And more importantly, in the modern metagame, we're not playing stuff like Dreadboard or Terminate. And Holy Heat doesn't kill this. Paul doesn't kill this. Leyline Binding can't kill this. Solitude can't kill this. It's super hard to remove. Right, so there's the question of what LS Norn does for you. There's the question of what LS Norn does against your opponent. There's also the question of, does LS Norn survive? Does she die to removal? Just like Mort is saying, it's not entirely clear that she does die to removal. She's pretty hard to get off the battlefield, given the cards people like to play, right? People like to play Leyline Bindings and Solitudes to handle all the threats. LS Norn shuts those down. Unholy Heat, not enough damage. So yeah, it's pretty tricky to kill an LS Norn. And if he's left alive, it's super easy to see how her first ability will get super out of control. Playing a Leyline Binding, exciling two things, playing a Solitude, getting rid of, things, of two things, Fury of Eight, Multifter Draw Four. So I think we all understand intuitively like how this card is supposed to work, but there are a few little details that you know we should just keep in mind if you're going to build an Elish Norn deck. One is that we're talking about getting additional triggers. This is not the same as doubling, right? So if you somehow stack up many copies of Elis Norn, uh, like with a spark double or whatever, or if you have a panharmonica in play, you're just getting one extra for each extra copy of Elis Norn. It works for any type of permanent causing any type of ETB trigger, that is an enter the battlefield trigger. We're used to seeing this on creatures, right? Like we're used to blink decks with creatures, but... You know, expand that to the full range of permanents. Abundant Growth drawing two, Dressdown drawing two. Fun fact, if you both and your opponent both have a Dressdown, both have an Elish Norn and you play a Dressdown, you're just going to draw one card. Is that true? Yeah. Dressdown shuts everything as it enters, and then when it enters, it draws a card. Okay, so there's, there is a cure. <laughs> Dressdown, the cure for Phyrexia. It will disable all the electrons. Yours, your opponents, all electrons will be deleted. Doubles up artifact triggers if you have anything like that. So if it's a vehicle, if you're playing a Seeker's Chariot, uh, that you'll get twice that trigger. Double your Sky Sovereign triggers. Even things that don't look like ETB triggers, like Landfall, for example, does not look like an ETB trigger, but... Balakut. Yeah, exactly. That, that checks for a land entering the battlefield. And that's exactly what Elish Norn is checking for. So anytime a landfall happens, so Valakut, Omneth is another big one where this interaction comes up, you'll just get double that effect. Worth noting, 
Caduce don't bounce back to your opponent's hand. Exactly. So shutting off triggers might not always be a good thing for you. Just be aware of that, right? If your opponent is playing a Lotus Field, they just get a free Lotus Field. Uh, if you are playing a Lotus Field, you will sacrifice four lands. So just be aware of that. Uh, and I mention this because actually we have a, a list proposed that uh, David has drawn up here that has that exact interaction in it. So just hmm. don't make that blunder. Like obviously he's aware of this. You just have to sequence. Don't play Lotus Field when your Elishnor is down if you are not intending to sacrifice four lands. It's ideal to not sacrifice four lands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's apparently an interesting bug, so Elish Norn should not affect cards that are in the graveyard. Currently, it does shut down Bloodgast, and it's not supposed to. Okay, that's just empty show being empty show, though. Exactly, exactly. Um, the reason being that Bloodgast is not a permanent your opponent controls while it's in the graveyard, so it should still be able to see a land entering and should still come back from that. Uh, sagas, last thing to mention, Sagas are not ETB triggers, although we may think of them that way. They are, they are actually just using a different mechanic entirely. Yeah, they're getting a counter as they enter and that triggers. Right. So the, the effects from the sagas are caused by chapter counters being added. That's not the same thing as being caused by entering the battlefield. Yeah, exactly. So don't think you're going to get double your trigger from any of the sagas you can think of. No Fable double, no... Short of the skulls doubling, which would be amazing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be two nuts. <laughs> the card is good enough as it is. So then, what were we looking for? Landfall creatures with ATVs, good exile space removal, like portable hole binding ossification. Also came in the same set, being great. Yeah, I mean the truth is this is just how Magic is played in 2023, and it's going to be like this for a long time to come. Yeah, they they can't help it when they want to make something constructed, playable, or powerful. They give you a card plus a trigger. Enter the battlefield trigger. That's just going to be good for the rest of time. So LS Norn is already good, and it's just going to keep getting better. In that sense, is this an interesting card? I'm not sure anymore. Like I almost feel like this is a little bit played out. Like I'm I'm kind of over it. <laughs> but, that's as more so like as I, I talked about on our Monday show, I was trying to play this Eldrazi deck against, you know, field full of solitudes. And at that point I was like, all right, I'm I'm done with this. If I never see another ephemerate again, if nothing else triggers ever again, I'd be happy. But hmm. these are the cards that exist. This is the world we live in. Exactly. So that's a little segue here to some decks. Uh we're gonna review some of the LS Norn decks that are currently doing well and talk about a few more directions to explore. Right off the bat is a list that I've seen called French Obosh. This list broke through in a modern challenge a couple of weeks ago, started winning, a lot of people picked it up, and eventually settled on the name French Obosh because I guess uh, Zenawan is a French player, is that right? That was the name Quatre, who is the, the challenge winner and also biggest winner with the deck said he named it. Quadri, of course, being four in French, which makes perfect sense. So how does this deck work? What makes it distinctive? So it works on the fact that it's pretty good paired against any of the red decks because you have an insane amount of removal. Four Bolt, three March, three Ending, four Solitude, four Fury. And you get to play against big mana or four color decks in the fact you have Elishnorn and Blood Moon should lock them out of the game. 
Eilerstorn's rule here, apart from its defensive properties, it doubles up your furies, doubles up your solitudes. Your season pyromancers. And more than anything, it just locks your opponent out of the game. Right, you might think, oh, well, obviously they're going to play Leyland Binding here, right? That's a no-brainer. But actually, that kind of messes with the mana base, so they, they don't opt for Leyland Binding. They're still playing classic Prismatic Ending. So it's got a limited suite of stuff that it's designed to double, but it's still just so powerful that it's really just the the sign of the end times when Elastorin comes down. Yeah. The other card that you would not expect is Timeless Dragon. There's three copies of Timeless Dragon here, and I don't quite understand why. It really helps with the mana. <laughs> Getting the planes when you're playing that many fetches happens a lot. Also the fact that it's just a good two for one threat when you're playing Obosh. It's this of one crusher, but this actually helps you with the mana. 22 lands is not that many, so like these three dragons are acting like one or two extra lands in the deck. Okay. Like, if you look at the mana base, 22 is a bit low. Yeah, for what is ultimately a mid-range control deck, right? this is going to take a long time to win the game. It's more just like two-for-ones forever until suddenly your two-for-ones become three-for-ones. In the early game, that might mean one for two, right? You do have to pitch sometimes to keep pace, but you can easily make that up with the Season Pyromancer, with the Timeless Dragons, uh, and of course, when Elish Norn hits, you'll, you'll get everything. Yeah. Elish Norn is just being a perfect top end for this sort of deck. All right, so this is a brew in the sense that it's combining the good ETB cards in a new way, but it doesn't speak to me as a brewer i'll just say that personally and this is maybe just we've seen too much of the elementals I, I don't find myself drawn to decks like this anymore this is just not your playstyle anymore this has is too far gone i think so i think so maybe it's just like it feels like it's new and yet it's not it's not new if that makes sense it's not new enough it's just a new iteration of the same the next list here, I mean, all these cards are going to be using ETB creatures, and there's like a fairly narrow suite of good ones. But the next list here is very cool. Yeah, this is a lot more spicy. This is Spike's version of Felish Norn. So Aspiring Spike has been <laughs> mucking around with a Heartless Summoning brought back Elementals deck with three Elish Norns. Heartless Summoning and brought back both cause two. They both give you a boost of mana, potentially two mana, so they can take you from two to five very quickly. They both work beautifully with just the evoke mechanic in slightly different ways, right? So you're the brought back OG, right? Like, what do you like about brought back? What do you see it doing? So brought back here can work amazingly well, mostly as a ramp spell. You are playing 12 Fetchlands in order to try and get consistently a turn 2 brought back either with double Fetchland or with a Solitude to try and get back in the game if you're behind. And then in the late game it can do amazing stuff, for example with Avalanche Rider you play it on turn 3 or 4, it dies on your next upkeep because no one pays the Echo and you can brought it back alongside a mood and you can go something like turn 4 Avalanche Rider, turn 5, evoke a Drifter. Fetchland, brought back, get back Avalanche Rider and Multrifter, draw four cards, get rid of two of your opponent's land, and just run away with the game. So the way this deck will often play out is it's just got a pile of fetch lands, you'll just play a fetch, leave it uncracked on turn one. Turn two, maybe you'll play another fetch and leave it uncracked. 
right? What, what's going to happen from there? Well, you're representing brought back to ramp you to five. You're also representing, you know, crack, fetch, get a triome, crack, fetch, get a shock, play a leyland binding. There's four leyland bindings here. They work great with LS Norn for one mana double path to exile. What you can also do is just slam the Heartless Summoning on turn two, and then you're looking at, okay, maybe next turn I evoke a Moldrifter for a single blue. Maybe I ephemerate that Moldrifter. Maybe I play a Moldrifter and an Avalanche Riders, right? This doesn't have to get blinked. It's just, you know, a Divination for one and a Stone Rain for two. That's pretty good. Anything to just get you into the longer game. The longer the game goes, the more you're likely to run away with things. There's four Solitudes. There's four Wall of Omens. There's four Ephemerates three Elish Norns, and a single Golos on top. Just in case. As a spicy. As a tiny bit of spice. My only problem with this deck is sometimes I'm afraid I will run out of threads. This deck plays literally 16 creatures capable of attacking. And nothing else. <laughs> Think you'll run out of deck before you kill them? That might happen, especially with Moldrifter and Avalanche Rider being the easiest things to kill in the country. But that's where a media comes in. <laughs> this is a mono white five color deck. Every land is a plains. That means that you have Emeria the Sky Ruin, which eventually brought back will get you there. You're even allowed to play Idyllic Grange. This is the the white member of the Eldraine land cycle. Ellis Normal double that trigger, right? Like this is not a card that we have seen really used effectively. Um, just because the the risk of it coming into play tapped is usually enough to put off people who are interested in plus one plus one effects. But it's kind of free here. So, you know, Spike had a fun screenshot where he had the Heartless Summoning in play. So his LS Norum was only a 3-6. They went for Unholy Heat and he responded by cracking a fetch and putting Idyllic Range into play to boost his LS Norum twice. That's the dream. I mean, you know, if that only happens once and you can tweet it out, that's worth it. Yeah. Idyllic Range is a spice... So there's a screenshot of Spike saving a creature by giving it plus two, plus two with a idyllic range thanks to Elishnorn, and that's just golden. So, from there, uh, what's next? These are closer to tier decks, I would say. I mean, these next ones, the Elementals deck with Elishnorn, sometimes called Elishmentals. Just slowly made its way into the meta, yeah. Elementals, as we know... Likes to play cards like Risen Reef, Fury, Solitude, Omnath, Locust Creation. You can just put all those together and put some number of Elish Norns into the deck, right? Maybe it's just one because you're playing Eladomri's Call. Having Solitudes, having Endurance in your deck subsidizes the mana cost of Eladomri's Call so that even though it adds two to whatever you're eventually going to cast, if you're just using it defensively to tutor up a removal spell, it's, it's like, yeah, it's all upside there. And just having one copy of Elish Norn for the Eladomri's Call to find is just so powerful, because if you ever get to untap with Eladomri, you just go nuts. Um, we talked about this during Atraxa week. Some people were going so far as to also include one Atraxa hmm. as an Eladomri's Call target, but I think people have decided you don't have to go that far. <laughs> Eladomri is enough. So if we're, look, if we're looking at what Spike is playing right now, I got a screenshot by a friend a few minutes ago. I'm going to read you some of the cards in this beautiful deck list. And you're going to make your conclusions, okay? Four Ephemerate, four Eldritch Evolution, Atraxa, Solitude, Muldrifter, Elishnorn, Omnath, Avalanche Rider, Renegade Rallyer, Walls, Eternal Witness, Renan Six. Yeah. 
have we strayed too far away from God's light when we're playing Eldritch Evolution in four color? Also to Renegade Rallyer. I mean, Renegade Rallyer is pretty good. It ramps you lands, it gets you up there, and it's that three drop you need to go get your LS Norn. It's also the, the Rallyer dream of turn three Rallyer, get back a land ephemerate, and, you sh and it's a one mana double ramp. Like Rallyer plus ephemerate is, four, is three mana, get up to seven mana on turn four, because you get two ephemerate. So you get the initial ramp with the Rallyer plus two from the ephemerates. So you can hard cast a Trax on turn four with an ephemerate. Oh god. Triple ramp off a Renegade Rallyer. That's nuts. <laughs> That's how it works. I, I used to do that with Enigmatic. It was super fun. What made you stop? Losing both Lurus and Yorion in Enigmatic, which played Lurus in the main deck and Yorion in the side. Did you find that Renegade Rallyer was a fine modern card, or was it like a little bit underpowered? I think it's a fine modern card. There's also a lot of the time where you just go turn 2, run and 6, it dies, and you turn 3, Rallyer it back. And that's just insanely powerful. So possibly Spike playing with this list, which I haven't tuned into that yet, but maybe working with some of the concepts that the player Respect the Cat has been working with, namely for Eldritch Evolution in what is otherwise a value mid-range deck. Yeah. Respect the Cat plays a slightly different version. It's a little bit smaller, right? It's a little bit heavier on two-mana cantrip creatures, four Ice Fang Quietal, four Wall of Omens, one Wall of Blossom. So we really, really want a cantrip creature on two. We can then use our four Eldritch Evolution to convert that into a useful four drop, most likely the two Omnaths here. But there's also one LS Norn, there's four Solitude. A mix of, you know, threes, like there's an Eternal Witness and Light of Autumn, two Ether Channelers and Endurance, two Ephemerates, two Prismatic Endings, two Elite Armies Call, four Eldritch Evolution, four Abundant Growth. It looks like a Yorian deck that just, you know... <laughs> The Orion was banned, they didn't get the memo, so they just kept playing the deck and trimmed hmm. it down to 60 cards. Ah, my sweet brains. I don't quite follow the Eldritch Evolution. I don't know. What do you think about this? I'm not sure yet. Like, I want to love it, but I haven't tried it enough to say I love it. You know, like, it's a, this sounds perfect, but does it play as good as it sounds? Is this almost just like a Soul Herder deck for the new era? Like, Soul Herder is too small. It might be the Soul Herder of the new era. This is what we're evolving into. Strange times in modern, but this is, this is the new world. <laughs> this is the new Phyrexian multiverse. We have reached this point where everything is just gonna go darker and darker. Alright, so those are some Elish Norn decks in modern. Some proven, some up and coming. A lot of triggers will be happening. For your opponents and a lot of your triggers will not be happening. Let's shift over to Pioneer. What have we seen in Pioneer so far? Well, I talked last week about the four-color Omnath to Light deck that showed up in the Pro Tour where they cut Niv-Mizzet, but they still kept four Bring to Light because it's just that powerful to be able to bring to light for your one LS Norn, combine that with Omnath and just go nuts. And I talked about my version that I tested, which got even greedier and added a Traxa to it. You know, the deck is pretty good. It's not amazing or anything like that. I've, I've actually been having pretty good success beating up on it uh, during the leagues with other decks, but it's definitely a player. What else can you do with Elish Norn? 
Well, David has been telling us about his take on Elish. Uh, he's postulating that you don't just want, you know, the one copy as your tutor target. You just want to draw Elish Norn as early and often as you can. And he had sketched up a green-white list with full four Elish Norn, 60 cards, no Yorian, just trying to draw Elish Norn immediately. Ramp to it gradually, right? He has two mana ramp to avoid, you know, being soft to fatal push. So he has the seven yeah. carry tids, he has a prosperous innkeepers. They guarantee it ramp. They want that cannot fail. Exactly. The one ramp that never lets you down. Never gonna let you down. <laughs> and he tested this, this deck out. The first build was a 2-3 results. Made some tweaks, cut some of the underperformers, and came back with a 3-2 and said it was feeling stronger. The underperformers turned out to be the Kiora and Topiary Stomper package which is always a bit speculative, you know, Topiary Stomper. I mean, I only see one... Oh, give me a second. I only see one huge mistake with the decklist. It doesn't have Yorion. Why doesn't this have Yorion? David, why? He just refuses to do it. He won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have D-Chef's example of that Yorion works with this. Why can't we trust? So, philosophically... The only disagreement that I have with David about this build is the ramp package. I keep advocating for a land war elf and elvish mystic. I think you just want to get your stuff down as early as you can. David likes to dodge removal. He doesn't like to be, you know, vulnerable to push. Hmm. He does like the prosperous innkeeper. I think he has a note here that the doubling up of triggers for Elishnorn actually just gains you so much life from the innkeeper that really helps you stabilize as you get to that later game where you're taking control. So that's interesting. And that's also in the DJS version, um, which does play Yorian, as Mord would insist is correct. Always. So DJF is playing Elvish Mystic, Llanowar Elf, and Prosperous Keeper and Golag Readers, uh, instead of where David just has the Sylvan Karyatid, Innkeeper, and the Llanowar Visionaries. So there's a lot of cards to play around with. I mean, this is like the second or third tier of... ETB effects, the ones that are not good enough for modern, but are still useful, right? Hmm. Chariot's very good. Um, David's messing around with different stuff. I think his new version has Thalia's Lancers. He is trying a Yasharn, although I think he discovered that Yasharn incidentally shutting off your own treasures was too punishing. So he said Yasharn is, Yasharn is cut from the team. Probably going to try Ambitious Farmhand instead. The good cards are the Portable Holes, the Oath of Nissas, the Elish Norns, and the Chariots. Or these are the cards you want to maximize. Elish Norn plus Oath of Nissa sounds pretty amazing. They looked six deep. Yeah. They're definitely one of the best cards. And if you look at D. Jeff's 5.0 version from, I think, the first week of the format, you know, he's trying a different suite. He's trying the Thraven Inspector. He's got the Charming Prince. Yeah. Uh, he's got Touch the Spirit Realm, and even he's got Combat Thresher. Yeah, alongside Glorious Protector and Esigas Chariot, that's like... No, sorry, the Esigas Chariot is always there, but the Glorious Protector is the spicy one. Yeah, and I think he said that it wasn't that good. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Probably wouldn't play that one again. But I think between these two, I mean, you, you have a full suite of stuff to choose from in green and white. All of the white removal is pretty good with Elish Norn, and it's pretty good against the field at large. So when David was like testing his builds, right, he, he found that sometimes like against green white angels, he just completely shut down the entire deck. 
on the other hand, some technology will still get you. Like I think he got paired against auras, green, white auras, and they brought in Hushbringers, which just crushes the entire concept of a blink deck. So he got out teched by the Hushbringer. And against the mono white deck, it seemed like the LS norm was going to be good, but they actually, they were playing instead of ossification, they were playing laid on arms, which was able to just cleanly exile the LS norm. Maybe they have made that sweep just because of that. I mean, if they've done that, that's very next level. If that is what happened. So some 3d 4d chess happening in the, the new LS norm meta in pioneer, in the pioneer, <laughs> in the pioneer norm meta. Exactly. David has a note here that uh, LS Norn shut down Rampaging Ferocidon, so all kinds of weird stuff will come up with this card. It will take some getting used to. Yeah. He's also gifted us one last LS Norn brew to consider. Ah, uh, this is insanity. This one is insanity. Full warning, this one is playing Lotus Field with LS Norn, so... You use at your own risk. Do not play Lotus Field after LS Norn if you don't want to sacrifice four lands. However, you do have Blood Sun, so this may not happen. You may get the Blood Sun down, and then it's just pure profit. And draw two cards of Elishnorn. So tell me about this build, Mord. How does this work? So we have four Imuria Skull on our lands and two Balakut Awakening. This is going to be super relevant in a few minutes, as you're actually looking forward for Lotus Field to sacrifice these lands in the early game. After that, three portable hole, four Knight of the Wild Orchid alongside four Bone Crusher's interaction, four Platzan for, of course, Lotus Field, four Fable of the Mirror Breaker because it's Fable of the Mirror Breaker, why wouldn't you? Four Kyoda, Behemoth Reconer, the usual untapping works super well with Lotus Field as a almost. So it's mana neutral the turn you played and it's subsetting you, transmitting you three mana, alongside two cast out as removal, three Elish Norn. And four Capricious Hellraiser. That's the real sauce in the deck, right? The Capricious Hellraiser? That's the sauce. Exactly. So the plan is, in the early game, play a Lotus Field, sacrifice Emeria Skull or Balakut Awakening. And when you play a Capricious Hellraiser later in the game, thanks to the mana provided both by Lotus Field and Kyoda and Knight of the White Orchid and Fable making treasures, that will allow you to play a media skull, for example, for free from your graveyard alongside us a 4-4 flyer and with Kyoda drop to three cards. So Hellraiser turns out to be more powerful with a small graveyard. Is that fair to say? Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So getting nine cards in the graveyard is just introduces too much randomness. Even though you can get it for just three mana, it's just not going to be a very powerful creature. But if you have some control over it, if you can give yourself great odds of flashing back an Emerio's Call, or even the flashing back of Velocate Awakening. That's, that's okay. And if you can double that trigger with LS Norn, the late game here gets very, very powerful. If you have Kiora in play, Hellraiser draws a card, recasts Emerio's Call, two four fours, draws two more cards. If you have LS Norn, double all of that. So the late game here looks pretty sweet. Getting to that late game with only Mooncrusher and Portable Hole alongside Cast Out might be a bit hard, but that's what we're aiming for. Yeah, you don't have a lot to do in the first few turns. You do have some cute stuff, like he's got four Knight of the White Orchid here, so the way that would work is it's kind of like a bootleg brought back, right? You play White Lands your first two turns, float two white mana, play your Lotus Field, play Knight of the White Orchid. Is that good? Uh, is that better than brought back? I'm not sure. Hmm. But it might be. 
and worst case scenario, we're not being. Uh, I just love Roadback. Can we just play Roadback? I don't think so. Yeah, I think not in the the Pioneer version. Yeah, our mana isn't good enough. This is based on a, a modern build that I think Aspiring Spike yeah. worked on. Yeah, one of the first brews with Halkite. Yeah, and use that package of Amiria's Call, Blood Sun, Lotus Field. There you have the pitch elementals, so you're a lot a lot more yeah. uh, deed up in the early turns. And you also have Cleansing Wildfire that works super well with both the bridges and flagstones as additional ramp. Additional ramp that also provides additional ways to put Amiria's Call into the graveyard. So it's definitely going to be more consistent at setting up the, the plush graveyard for the Hellraiser. But, you know, porting that to Pioneer, I think Elastor actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Apart from the whole Lotus Field thing, <laughs> Elastor makes a lot of sense. It does. I think it does. Like, this makes a reasonable amount of sense. Like, surprising. Knowing the mastermind it has came from. Yeah, so that's a sweet new concept for Elish Norn. Other decks that you might find with Elish Norn, Enigmatic Incarnation and Pioneer, pretty good deck, plays when Elish Norn. Sometimes people say they want to. It's extremely powerful there. Omnathlete, we already talked about. Mono White Devotion, you know, the Mono White Nykthos deck, sometimes plays as many as four copies of Elish Norn. So you'll run into this card uh, in Pioneer for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to face Elishnor, wanting or not, in the format of your choice, Pioneer or Modern. So is there anything more to say about the card? I don't think so. It has seen some fringe play, like Mono White Devotion decklist. I played one as well in the Yorion package. It's super useful there. But besides that, I haven't seen much. Like, it's just a good card. It's straight up a good value midrange piece that allows for some degenerate stuff if it survives, and it's surprisingly resilient. Yeah, absolutely. Alright, well, pick up your copies whenever they hit a price that you're comfortable with. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> when that will be. Very expensive, new staple, we can say, but yeah, I mean, you can see why. The power is insane. Yeah. Alright, from there we transition to our flashback segment. Hmm. Last week's card was Mind Splice Apparatus, a card that David thought, you know, had some echoes of Wilderness Reclamation. It has small echoes of it. Yeah, a little bit. It's three and a blue artifact with flash. At the beginning of your upkeep, you add an oil counter to the Mind Splice Apparatus. Then you get a cost reduction on all of your instants and sorceries. They cost one less to cast for each oil counter on the apparatus, so... Flash it in on turn four. Turn five, all your stuff is one cheaper if you proliferate more counters on it with Experimental Augury or the Monument of the Facade. Suddenly all your spells are two cheaper and it just gets more and more nuts from there. David had, I think, three uh, Pioneer lists that he drew up. I tested two of them. Yeah, I tested one of them, super similar, but yeah, so it was three of them? Temura, Sodius, and... Uh, he proposed an it list, which I did not get to test. Oh, okay. The it list was very similar to Chris Botello's uh, Pro Tour list, where it played the Galvanic Iteration Temporal Trespass endgame with a lot of one-mana cantrips. So a good portion of the deck actually wasn't reduced by Mindspace Apparatus, um, but in, in exchange for that, you had a lot more play without the apparatus in play. Okay. 
But that's not what I tested. I started with the more speculative ones. I started with a teamer build based around Growth Spiral, and I also tried the blue-white build with Wraths and Approach of the Second Sun. Both of these lists played out kind of the same. Despite having a vastly different spell suite, the play patterns and the weaknesses were extremely similar. Right, So the, the teamer builds, ideally you would grow Spiral on turn two for an early apparatus, but if you're not doing that, I mean, it's just a bunch of clunkers. Like, there's literally zero one-mana spells in this deck. You have four Fires of Victory, four Experimental Augury, two Sweltering Suns, and two more on the board. Card draw in the form of Behold the Multiverse, Expansion Explosion, two copies, Fight with Fire, two copies, MDFC is like Saloon Division, Tomari hmm. Disruption, and two Commit to Memory. This is your uh, catch-all removal interactive spell that also allows you to just draw fresh seven with a massive mana advantage yeah it's all well and good but just there's just nothing to do on the early turns sometimes there's nothing you can do i just like i just hate decks that don't play one drops i think this is why i, I keep harping <laughs> on the, the land orioles versus sylvan character thing i just cannot i cannot abide these decks <laughs> They're so frustrating, especially on the draw. You just feel so tempo negative on the draw. You feel like you're never catching up with what your opponent is doing. Exactly. If they play a or Elf on turn one and they're on the play, like the game's already over. Like you, yeah. just, you have no chance in those matchups. No, no removal for it. No way to catch up. Always playing like on the back. And that's not even accounting for like experimental augury. Like that's your first play of the game is anticipate. You're just you're just not in those games. So. The team rebuild, I went two and three. I got paired against three slow decks and two fast decks. The fast decks, I lost very quickly. Um, e even when they didn't have great draws, even when they, you know, let me sweep the board a few times, it was just too hard. I, I lost to a Gruel midrange and a Gruel splashing summer denial, a team or midrange. The slower decks were where I expected this deck to really shine, right? Like I'm, I'm like a big flashy flash deck with cost reduction and X spells, I should win these matchups. And I did, right? I beat Lotus Field very impressively, just, you know, demolished them with cost reduction. Beat the five-color Omnath deck where they weren't interacting on the stack, they were just hoping to outgrind me the long game, and they just couldn't do it. E even resolving slaughter games against me, like, it just didn't work. It just wasn't enough. Yeah, I was like, well, I'll expansion your slaughter games and take out your Leyland Bindings so that you can't stop me then you just can't, you know, you can't, one one Slaughter Games wasn't enough to defang the deck, so hmm. uh, that was an easy 2-0 win as well. The matchup where I really thought I would win and instead lost badly was against the Demure Notion Thief Days Undoing Narset deck. And that was depressing. Like, they were just better at this plan than I was. Like, if you can't win this matchup, I, I think that you need to rethink the plan. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not in a good position. The fact is that Narset is so powerful with Commit to Memory, and Commit to Memory is pretty good in this shell. I think you just need the Narset's main deck. That maybe means that we shouldn't even be bothering with, like, the teamer colors. Like, Grow Spiral was not that good. I only Grow Spiraled into Apparatus once in all these games, and I paid a huge price in the mana base to accommodate this card. The red sweepers were also, like, not reliable. Like, Fight with Fire was pretty clunky, three damage was not enough to stabilize in every situation. As much as I liked Fires of Victory, it was pretty good. I, I just didn't feel like I was getting enough out of the red half of the deck. And definitely not the green half. Yeah, definitely not the green half. I think that's like the 
Maybe that's why there is an easiest version we haven't tried. We have all reached the agreement that maybe the green part just wasn't convincing. Maybe the red version plays one mana removal then. Maybe it does. It does. I mean, it, it plays Fire Impulse. I think the list that David sketched, I would probably add more removal to it. Like, I just want as much interaction as possible in the early turns. Like, I would probably add Fires of Victory to the one we talked about last week and then run that back. Um, but what I tried instead was the blue-white version, which was relying much more on sweepers. Two Supreme Verdict, three Temporary Lockdown. Three March of Otherworldly Light, so you have a little bit of spot removal to keep them guessing. Then you're playing your four sensors, two draw disruptions. Divide by zero becomes the kind of catch-all interaction plus card draw, because you can eventually get a very cheap mascot exhibition um, if the Mind Splice is in play. Four Mind Splice, two Commit to Memory, one Behold the Multiverse, and then you're going to win the game with Approach of the Second Sun. You have one copy in the main deck, you have one in the sideboard, which you can get with your two copies of Fae of Wishes. So the idea here is that you're just going to buy as much time as you can with reactive blue-white control, hopefully sneak a Mind Splice into play, and then eventually you know, you'll use your massive mana advantage to just run away with things. Hmm... Again, I mean, there's absolutely zero one-mana plays. There's nothing that costs one in this deck. I added the third merch myself because I thought two was not enough, and I would think I would play all four, I mean, having played a league with this now. Even then, I'm still not convinced you have enough interaction. Like, throughout the league, my opponents would play around what they thought was, like, counter magic in my hand. If they could see my hand, they would know. If they could see my deck list, they'd be like, wow, this deck is, <laughs> is doing nothing. Like, my hand is, like, experimental augury, divide by zero, mind space apparatus. Like, I have no chance of stopping a creature. If they just, like, play their stuff, I would be dead for sure. I'm not beating a, a bunch of three mana three threes. Right. Like, I got a bunch of extra turns that I shouldn't have gotten because they were, you know, trying to not play into wraths or something like that. Even then, it was very hard to keep control of the board. I finished this league at two and three. Problems were... A, the clunkiness, being on the draw. B, just the over-reliance on Mind Spice Apparatus. It's not impossible to kill it, especially in the age of Boseju. I, I lost multiple Mind Spice Apparatus. You know, some of them got killed by a braid. A bunch of them got Boseju'd. One of them got Slaughter Games. Getting Slaughter Games is fine. It's part of the course. Any combo that can be Slaughter Games. But getting Boseju'd is a bit tougher. Just no way to respond to it. It's just crying. Yeah, the augury was like very good after apparatus and very bad otherwise. Like just getting no value off of the anticipate. Like there's nothing in here that benefits from proliferate. Again, it's like if I had Narset, that would be a different thing. If I had Narset, then casting augury once would give me an extra full card off Narset. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I do not feel motivated to play this deck again. Um, I think we need to like rebuild, reduce the curve. Rebuild, rebuild, reduce, just tighten up a little bit and not rely so much on winning the die roll and having sensor up. But again, that's maybe like my bias. You, you know I hate sensors. <laughs> I just don't like this playstyle in general. Yeah. Uh, poor apparatus. We had, I, I had a lot more hope into it, but at the same time, that was like fake hope. You know, the sort of hope that's like, you seem super fun, but also super bad. What kind of deck were you interested in? 
I don't know, I just wanted to do fun stuff. I just love reclamation builds and hope this will be different, but alas. So the thing about reclamation is it costs zero mana. You cast it on turn four and immediately untap. You don't have to just fall behind by a full turn. Apparatus does not repay you immediately. You do fall behind by a full turn. It's like super punishing. If they have anything on board at all, like half your life is gone. Like if they just played a blood type harvester on turn two, even if they play nothing else, you're just letting your life get chipped away. And the best you can do on turn four is play a cost reducer. You're just on the ropes. And then the creature lands, you haven't dealt with those at all. So you can even get to the state of the game where you're theoretically winning and still be in danger of just dying to Muta Volts. Yeah, the fact you're playing a four mana cost reducer instead of a free cost reducer, that was the case with Reclamation mostly. Unless you're playing against an instant speed deck, Reclamation used to be a four mana, a zero mana cost reducer, right? Even mana positive at times. Mana doubler for zero mana. Yeah, I mean, it's just like... You can see why it's banned. I can see why it's banned when I think of it that way. I knew Wilderness Wreck. I liked Wilderness Wreck. You are no Wilderness Wreck. Sorry. We cry in Wreck. Alright, so I'm a little bit lower on the card now, having tried it a couple times. Maybe there's a different build. We can keep messing around with it. Maybe someday. The power level is... It's just like a little too swingy right now for me. Alright, so that's Mind Splice Apparatus. Uh, just to close things out today, I do want to say a word about Tyvar Jubilant Brawler. That was our first card that we really identified as having a lot of potential, a lot of fun in both Modern and Pioneer. It took a while, right? Like, we started testing this in week one. There weren't a ton of results off the bat, but... Slowly, slowly, results are trickling in, and I think it might be worthwhile to just check in and see what's happening with Tyvar. So, what has been happening with good old Tyvar, Dan? Did he evolve into the beautiful masterpiece we expected him to, or has he been relegated to really bad... What's the name of the changeling? What, Murder of the Frosts? Or has, been re- <laughs> has he been relegated to Murder of the Frost Year 4 builds? Oh god. Well, hopefully not that, but uh, people are still trying that combo out. What did we find? Well, the biggest thing we found was that splashing in the three colors in Pioneer is very punishing, but Tyvar is very good. So maybe the solution is to just tighten up, say we're just going to play black-green. As much as we might be tempted to go into third color for Soul Diviner or whatever else, you're just going to get better mana, better results with clean black-green, play your elves, play your Priest of Forgotten Gods, and it turns out that might just be enough. Those are 12 cards that work with Tyvar. Priest is very important because it allows you to interact. It's a burst of mana. Fills the graveyard. Tyvar can get it back. So a successful build has been emerging that uses your eight elves. It uses four priests. It uses Tyvars. It uses Collected Company. You need more tokens, so you play the Lazatep Reaver. This is a a two-mana zombie that brings a token. It was so bad when I saw it in gameplay. The river was... The fact that river isn't even good, like, if you get it again because the same zombie grows instead of getting you a new one. I saw this playing a full playset, and it was like, wow. Yeah, I mean, you might as well. At that point, you might as well sack the amass token. You know, you have Woe Striders for that. You have uh, your Priest of Forgotten Gods. 
Some versions go all the way up to Bolas the Citadel, and, and some do not. Some focus more on, okay, I, I want my four Azilaport cutthroats, and I also want my extra copies of um, Vran, Thane of something, the double, hmm. the double blood artist. So this builds, you know, it's, it's around. It's gotten a few 5.0s. I think Todd Anderson and yeah. Doom Wake have been playing it a lot on their streams. Some players have tried to take some of the similar shell and moved into Jun colors. So you're paying that cost. But if you move into Jun, you get Blood Tithe Harvester, you get Mayhem Devil, you get Fable of the Mirror Breaker. All of those cards work great with Tyvar. So the Jun sack with Tyvar is four Lanor Elves, four Cauldron Familiar, four Gilded Goose, four Witch's Oven, Blood Tithe Harvester, and Priest of Forgotten Gods on two. Mame Devil, Tyvar, Fable, and Fatal Push. So just a variant on Rakdos sack that's a little bit faster with the, the mana dorks and has a little bit more explosiveness uh, out of the graveyard with Tyvar. Yeah, Tyvar is just amazing. I have seen Tyvar shine in this sort of shell, especially with Blood Tiger Harvester and Priest of Forgotten Gods just being immediate value. Tyvar giving haste to the chapter three of Fable is also... Like, yeah, it's also insane. If we're willing to go into third colors, there are more fun ideas you can mess with. Dave has been tinkering with uh, a different Sultai build, not using Soul Diviner, but using Sidisi Brood Tyrant. Do you remember Sidisi? Was this before your time? I have known Sidisi because of you guys. I have never actually cast a Sidisi. <laughs> It was like a fun standard card. I do, however, see the spicy Eternal Scourge there. <laughs> Sidisi costs four. She will mill three when she enters and when she attacks. She gives you one zombie anytime a creature is milled. Yeah. And she's a um, four mana three three? Four mana three three, which is not great. So David is thinking, all right, I have my mana dorks to ramp me to four. I have Fiend Artisan, which... Finds the DC, it can sack a Stitcher Supplier, it can get huge, and it, it's a tap ability for Tyvar. So, Armor Scrap Gorger, Fiend Artisan, four of each, one Priest of Forgotten Gods, one Lanawar Loam Speaker. He's not playing Mana Elves. I, I think he just doesn't like getting Fatal Push, where I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> he is playing Stitcher Supplier and one Deathrite Shaman. Four thoughts, he's four push. So, choosing to interact on one instead of ramping out. Then you got your four CDCs. Because you're playing the Freezed Artisans, you have a little bit of a creature toolbox. So there's the one Eternal Scourge, there's one Hostage Taker, there's even, a, it looks like a Scarab God is in here for when you just really need to grind. This is a fun experimental concept. I think we'll all disagree, me and David, about whether you should play Mana Elves or not, and how many one-drops you need uh, for this kind of deck. But I think he's deliberately trying to explore something that's different from Sacrifice. Yeah, I think he's... Making some suboptimal choices just to try and explain new territories. Maybe the correct bill is somewhere in the middle, but he's trying to theory craft first if this is viable. And not just a worse sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, if Scrap Gorger is good in the metagame, then this is an interesting way to take advantage of Scrap Gorger. Yes. It's like a little bit anti-synergistic with your own Fiend Artisans. It will shrink your Fiends, but it will provide you incidental graveyard hate. It becomes a decent beater. An infinite Scourge as well. Yeah, unlimited Eternal Scourges. I see three Tangled Florahedrons in the mana base. That's just like a land that, you know, works with Tyvar, works with Sidisi to mill it for an extra zombie. Yeah, particularly that. So the build, like, has a lot of synergies to it. It'd be fun to test this out and see how it holds up. 
seems like a super fun concept and the one else alongside Finarly's son looks super fun. I just love Hostage Taker as well. So the interaction that really excites me is like Stitcher Supplier plus Fiendersin plus Priest, right? If you have yeah. all of those, you have eight good sack outlets on two that also just rewards you for stuffing the graveyard full. And if you want to like play Archfiend's Vessel, I mean, maybe that's like a bridge too far. Yeah, maybe we're going too deep. Maybe. But if you're willing to port this over into modern, right, you get access to better mana and therefore yeah. you can play even more colors, right? <laughs> you can play more exciting stuff. So Aspiring Spike had a sweet version. I, I kind of, I love this deck. I'm so tempted to just build this in paper. Tyvar, Fiend Artisan, Priest, Stitch a Supplier, right? That's all there. That's the core. But... What do you surround that with? Well, it turns out that, you know, Ether Vial is a great way to get these two drops into play in a tempo positive way. Ether Vial also just happens to cast Asmo for free. So this is the, the long rumored Vial Asmo deck that has never seemed to come together before. But here it is. So four Asmo, four Cookbook, and four Oval Chase Daredevil. The payoff for making all this food is Asmo itself, which Fiend Artisan can just bring into play. Yeah, for one mana. Exactly. Or you just get Urza Saga, which is a great way to spend your Priest of Forgotten Gods mana. Four Tyvars, four Unlucky Witness, and four Blood Ghast. I have the feeling Finarisan has to do a lot of heavy lifting as a sunky creature in this deck. Maybe. I mean, maybe you just win with Construct Tokens. You definitely... You need your Priest and your Finarisans to be doing their thing. Oh, yeah. Luckily, Tyvar brings them back with haste, so you, you know, the whole dice removal thing is mitigated somewhat hmm. by Tyvar. Yeah, yeah, Tyvar makes it so your need to tap creatures become a lot better. Like, immediately. Yeah, exactly. Better immediately and better whenever you minus two for them. Also, the two Doughty on the sideboard, Tyvar value, deck value, excites graveyard hate. Yeah, two Doughty Voidwalkers, very nice. So I don't know how powerful this deck is. I don't know if it's like a serious contender, but it looks super fun. Seems like a super fun build, yeah. One of those you... We always want to port Pioneer stuff into Modern to improve the mana, and this is one of the few times it might actually be a good idea. Yeah, I mean, Aether Vial, like, that's just so beautiful. You don't see a lot of Vial decks. I mean, you do, because you play Goblins, but the rest of us don't see a lot of Vial decks these days. There's not that many cheap creatures that also like reward you for having a bunch of extra mana lying around, but this is this is a deck like that. This for sure is a deck like that. So all of this is to say that Tyvar is doing well. I mean It has found a few homes, to say the least. Also, Dan Dingo got a 5-0 yesterday with the voted, so at least he's doing some ways in modern. Of course, playing for Tyvar. Yeah, a lot of Devoted Druid decks putting up 5-0s. I've seen Tyvar used in Enchantress decks in the 5-0s. Just getting back your Sanctum Weavers and your Sithis Harvest Hand. <laughs> there is the long-rumored tyvar Mord of the Frost combo. Hmm. I even saw at the Pioneer RCQ that I played last weekend, I saw a player make top 8 with um, with the dungeon combo with Acerarach the Archlich, Gwenna, Eyes of Ghent, and Kinnon. They had four Tyvars, they had Mana Elves, they had Collected Companies, they had Fauna Shamans. It's a combo that you just like can't play online, it's too many clicks. But um, the, the paper version looked pretty good, actually. 
Yeah. So there's a tons of potential homes for Tyvar. It's a super fun card and it's pretty cheap right now. I just went ahead and bought four, three bucks each. I don't know what I'm going to do with them yet, but I'm sure they're going to be fun. Hmm. It's a fun card. Like all the builds you tend to build around it are just fun. Yeah. And I hope they continue to print new creatures for Tyvar. I'm sure they will. I mean, any two creature with a tap ability is a Tyvar card. There has to be enough. They just don't print cards like that anymore. They're giving Elisnorn all the toys and not Tyvar. We need more Tyvar creatures, not more Elisnorn creatures. There are not that many, surprisingly. With how many decks the cards have had, I'm surprised they just... They're not... So when I look at Tyvar, I'm like, there has to be a million cards that are amazing with this. And then I start looking and I find like four. One of them going Goblin Engineer. It's because tapping is the opposite of ETB triggers. Like ETB gives you the value immediately. Tapping gives you the value next turn. Like it's just... Yeah, and these have to be cards that are zero playable when you don't have Tyvar. And that's the tough line. It's real tough. Yeah. But nevertheless, Tyvar gives us hope. And yeah, it's a sweet card. All right. I think we should leave it there. Ton of brews to sort through. And yeah. I'm excited to keep exploring. Yeah, it's a lot of fun brews. We have Tyvar, we have Elishnorn, we have good old failures with Mindsplice Apparatus. We have a lot going forward. Besides, who doesn't love playing an Elishnorn brew just as an excuse to play Timeless Dragon? <laughs> oh, I love Timeless Dragon. But yeah, that will be it's really all for us tonight. Thanks so much, Dan, for having me. Thanks so much, everybody. Hope you have a beautiful day. Bye-bye. Decklist for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. If you enjoyed this program, help us spread the word. Leave us a review in your favorite podcast app and help us grow the Faithless family. You can also support us directly at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. We're making a pledge at any tier helps keep the show going and gets you access to our wonderful Discord community. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.